You were raised to believe the world was black and white. But what if it isn't? What if the rigid belief system you have never questioned is wrong? What if the world is actually a lot more gray? This show is for the seekers, the explorers, those brave enough to step outside of certainty and question everything. Join your hosts as they sit across from the world's leading thought leaders, visionaries, religious gurus, entrepreneurs, philosophers, and more to tackle difficult topics. You don't need all the answers to find meaning in life, but you should be free to ask all the questions. This is Figuring It Out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Figuring It Out podcast. My name is Eric Skorzynski. I'm, of course, one of the co-hosts on the show. And we were joined for this episode live in Las Vegas by Jason Tardik. Jason is the host of a top charting business podcast, Trading Secrets, and he's the founder of Restart, a career management and personal financial consulting company. His Restart All Access group has created international networking opportunities for those focused on career navigation and small business startups. In addition, he is an investor in a financial trading app and a social media talent agency. He's utilized his professional platform to speak on a wide array of subjects at universities and corporate associations. His business endeavors, coupled with his time on ABC's The Bachelorette, landed him co-hosting and cameo opportunities on Live from E, E Daily Pop, The Bachelor, and Yahoo Finance. He has also appeared on Good Morning America, The Today Show, The Ellen DeGeneres Show, Listen to Your Heart, Fox News, CNN, Celebrity Family Feud, Entertainment Tonight, and The Ryan Seacrest Show, to name a few. Jason currently resides in Nashville, Tennessee, with his fiance, former Bachelorette, Dancing with the Stars, Mirrorball Champion, and ABC The Bachelorette co-host, Caitlin Bristow, and their two golden retrievers, Ramen Noodle and Pino. You are going to love today's episode. I know I did. Jason was a blast to record with, and I'm so excited to share that episode with you right now. Just take us back to the very beginning, like before people <laughs> saw you and knew you and started yep. making tweets about you, who were you? Like middle school age. Yeah. So I, I'm Jason Tardick for anyone that doesn't know. And I, uh, my, I guess my, like where I have most familiarity is from the bachelor world, bachelor nation. I was on season 14. That was Becca's season. And then as a result of that ended up uh, meeting my now fiance, who is a former bachelorette and the co-host and she was on dance with the stars. So we are in the age. ABC Bachelor Nation world. Uh, before that, I was I uh, grew up in Buffalo, New York. I uh, was a small town guy, right? Played hockey, played soccer. I uh, was kind of the I would probably classify myself as like the people pleaser if I had to. Mm-hmm. Very social. Um, you know, played. You know, was the captain of all my teams, but was friends with kind of like everybody. And then I took that probably same same mentality into college. So college was like, gotta study business. That's what I've seen is success. And then after business, after school, was like, okay, I gotta get a large corporate job. I gotta be the guy that's like there early, stays late, checks the boxes, exceeds expectations, you know, dresses the right way, acts the right way, because that's what my vision in the system I grew up in would demonstrate success. And so I did it. And so after graduating, I worked 10 years in corporate banking. They told me where to move. I said, when, how, and where, you know, because in my eyes, being relocatable, at least from what I learned growing up, would put you ahead. And so my largest move was from uh, New York to Seattle. It's about 3,000 miles. And then uh, in my 20s, I got my MBA too. And then it was about 29, 30. I'm in Seattle. And I'm just kind of get back from a day of work. And I feel like I totally lost myself. I was just like, wait a second. Taking my suit off. 
I am single. I have no friends here. I like not really enjoying the move to uh, Seattle. I think I had a lot of distraction places I worked before because I enjoyed the culture there. Didn't really enjoy the culture at all. And so as a result of that, um, I found a call on my way to go to the bachelorette and against everyone's blessing, I went (laughs) and, uh, that was in 2018. Here we are in 2022 and I'm having the pleasure of speaking with you guys. So that's kind of my life story. How far you've fallen. <laughs> Literally. It was all the right path. Well, this is the thing that I wanted to ask because I was listening to your uh, episode with Nick Vile on his show. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he was kind of joking about is that the producer's issue with the two of you is that you're so normal. And, yes. you know, I... I don't watch The Bachelor obsessively, but mm-hmm. like I'm married, sure. so I watch it. I watch Come on, it that's and, uh, what they all say. But, but, it's all the husbands. I don't, yeah. I don't know you. My wife does. So but. what's your name? Yeah, yeah, right yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but it is one of those things, though. Like when you watch it and you're not involved in it, there's yeah. this perception of like, who does this? Like this isn't something a normal person would do. Like I'm gonna totally. go try to find love on a reality show. <laughs> so like when you signed up for it, was it just a radical change of pace? Was it kind of a goof? Did you think it was going to become a serious thing? Like what was your mentality signing up to do it? Yeah. So when I took the job from Seattle, from New York to Seattle, it was, and I'm so I have a podcast called Trading Secrets. And one of the things we always talk about, uh, every guest we have on, we talk about money, money earned, money lost, money made, not in a braggadocious way, but like our whole thesis is that in our society, it's uncomfortable to talk about money. So if we lay into it, it gives us more information for what we do and how we could do it. And so I say that because I'm about to tell you like what I was offered. And most people, Mm -hmm. when I talk about this, like, whoa, why is he just talking about money? But that's the preface. Very comfortable talking about money. So I was 29. I was offered at the time as a $110,000 signing bonus, 165K base. And then the upside for bonus could like two, three X your base just based on performance. Or it could be zero, right? Like it could be yeah. nothing. And so for me, I had already got my MBA and my undergrad debt taken care of. And so I knew I was in a really, really dark place as far as it related to like professional satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Like if I, there's no way I could do what I was doing for another three, four or five years. I just, right. I was burnt out and we can get into like how the definition of burnt out. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I said to myself was if I put this two years in based on the signing bonus, the upside, and I could just exceed expect or just meet expectations, I figured out all the cash flow that after two years, I was good. I had the financial flexibility mm-hmm. to go do what I wanted, write my own story as opposed to it being written like it was the last 10 years. And so I went to Seattle and after like four months of being in Seattle, you know, they put all this upfront investment. This opportunity comes my way. And for me, I was so at such a low place that I was like, I looked at it as an out to what I, where it currently was. Mm. Right. And everyone was like, dude, what do you do? You're not the reality TV guy. What are you doing? You've been making all the right moves. You've been playing a game of chess for 10 years. And now you're just like literally throwing the board over. And so I had to very tactfully get uh, permission to go on the show (laughs) Uh, the memo that because people people of all different backgrounds and professions go on the show. So the memo is in the book that I just wrote. The approval process is in the book that I just wrote. But uh, I took the shot. My boss looked at the memo. He passed it to his boss. She passed it to his mm-hmm. boss. They, passed, they went all the way up to the president of the entire bank. This is a $21 billion market cap bank. And the president of the bank has a fucking memo. Oh, I don't know if I can swear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bleep yeah, it out. <laughs> has a memo in his literally hand saying, can a kid go on the bachelorette? He doesn't know what he's doing. He approves it. He's like, 
Yeah, I'll let the kid go, you know, like, because I wrote it. <laughs> up to, and if you want to know about the memo, the memo, I get in the weeds on the analytics and the likelihood of it was me like being three back. Or four pages, right? I mean, it was, it was like pretty- two, three pages. But I, I, so other, most people watch the show to see like strategy. I watch the show counting how many people started and how many people leave every week. And then I asked the producers, uh, how long is each week? And I backed into the <laughs> analytics of the likelihood, the percentages of when I'll be back. So I had 29 PTO days, paid day time off. And so I figured out that the likelihood that I would use those 29 PTO days was a 14% chance that I would be one of the people that used all my PTO days. And I literally wrote this out. He ended up proving it. HR director runs into his office like, I'm a fan of the show. Do you know what you just approved? <laughs> And so then there is this like contingency that you can go, but you have to be aware if there are any repercussions, you know, there could be repercussions. Yeah, sure. (laughs) And so I went on just because I knew the two year limit was there for me. I knew that the the light was at the end of the tunnel and I just needed a change of pace. I didn't know social, social media had 400 followers. I didn't even know how to post up. I didn't know anything about this. So the upside of like fame in the back of my head, I'm like, I mean, maybe that could happen. Probably won't to right. me, but like, why would I not do this? Yeah, like, why sure. not? Yeah. Yeah. There's not really a downside to trying. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, the thing is, is there <laughs> hindsight, there's a ton of downside. <laughs> okay. You look at like What's reality that? television. Yeah. I would say if you look at the numbers, right? So like if each season of The Bachelor, um, there's 30 contestants, 30, 32 contestants as a lead, maybe one or two of them will have like a life-changing experience. Mm. I'd say like the large standard deviation, nothing changes, but there's a good amount of people. It severely impacts your mental health, your yeah, family, mm. your your yeah. your perception of your brand. You got to remember when you go in, you're not just worried about you. I'm worried. My dad's been a you know a hard worker at his company for 32 years, yeah. and there's 30,000 employees in his company. Yeah. I got to worry about his reputation, my mom's yeah. reputation. Yeah. Yeah. People don't think through that, and it yeah. has a serious serious impact for people that uh, struggle through the process. Yeah, no yeah I wouldn't have thought that side of it at all. Uh, yeah. What was the timeline like from the time that you were like, oh, there's an ad to go on The Bachelorette mm-hmm. until you were, until you got the news that you were actually going to be on The Bachelorette? Yeah. So I, when I was in Rochester, that's when I got asked to go to Seattle. Uh, I did this Bachelor auction. It was for Gilda's Club. So there's this, uh, there's this comedian, Gilda Radner. She died of ovarian cancer abruptly. So they created this uh, support community and charity that helps families that are undergoing anyone in their family with cancer treatment. And so they've got 30 guys in the area of Rochester, all different backgrounds, ages, and you pretty much raised money for this big event. And then you went out and like you pretty much danced and like, and people were dressed up nicely though. Oh. And they would bid on you to go on the date. Like you get a date package. So that night of like 30 guys, I I came out of the crowd. I was old time rock and roll. I was throwing my jacket around. I mean, I was working the crowd, but I got the most amount of bids, right? This was March, 2017. And so in October of 2018, I'm in Seattle. It's like eight months later. And I wake up on a Sunday morning and I have a voicemail from someone at ABC that says, hey, we were seeing, there's probably a thousand people maybe at this event. Hey, we received a video from you at the Gildas Club auction. Uh, looked like you were fun and single. Really? Are you still single and do you still live in really? Rochester? Wow. And I thought it was fake. Yeah. yeah I thought it was I fake. Have back. <laughs> yeah. right? I'm thinking okay. this is good fraudulent stuff. <laughs> and so uh, it wasn't fake. And I pursued the process. Yeah. And then uh, what happened? Oh, man, it's a process. So you go October is when I got the call. 
you, I then went to like regionals, which is in, it was in New York. There's got to be thousands of people to try out for this. I right? think I, yeah, I tens was like of tens of thousands. Yeah. 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 So you go to regionals. Ironically enough, my, my best buddy, best buddy still to this day, he was in the same bachelor auction. He called, I, I, we're still talking, dude, you're not going to believe this. He goes, wait, I got something to tell you. I'm like, well, what do you got to tell me? <laughs> so I, and we call each other. And I tell him, I got called from the bachelor. He goes, I did too. So this is my, my best buddy and I, we both go to regionals. They end up like taking me to go to what's like the final 50 is what they call it. I don't know if they still do like how they do this, but they do final 50. You go to LA. And so he didn't, he didn't get that call. Go to LA. And that's when they do like, you, you have to meet with a psychologist. You have to do blood work for STD stuff. They do background checks. You meet with producers. I'll never forget. I was in one room and there was a uh, big camera, like almost like you're interviewing at like channel seven, like big heavy duty stuff. And it was just one-on-one. And then you walk through that and you finish it. And that was kind of intimidating. I was a banker doing yeah. like I see yeah. all these lights and stuff. I'm like, what's going on? Then I walk through this room and there's 30 producers. So you walk in this one room, then there's 30 producers and you have to sit right in the middle. Oh my God. And they're like <laughs> grilling so you from all angles. Oh my God. Wow. It was like 30 it was, on one interview. It was literally a 30 on one interview. Wow. Yeah. There was, I remember one part, and, but I was just like, I don't give a shit. That was my attitude. I'm like, I don't care. I'm not, a, this isn't uh, all day. I'm dealing with like CFOs of like hundred million dollar companies. I'm like, I don't care. And I remember one time it was, I had to pick up, pick, I don't think I've ever told this. I'd pick up a, uh, in this has like, what's your favorite animal? Is lion? And they said, what's your favorite animal? Like a lion. I go, why? I go, I love Lion King. So she throws me a pillow, and she goes, all right, pretend that's that Simba. What would you do? And what? like, little does she know, she played rain in my hand. I go, and I'm screaming it in front of all of them, and they're like, oh my god. So it was a process. It was about six months, and then in March of uh, 2018 is when I went on. We filmed till May of 2018. Then I went right back to work after. Well, right back to work after. Right back to work. So it was the next happened. day, right? Yeah. It was. It was. So it was Mother's Day week. I got dumped in Thailand. Came yeah. back. It was like a Friday, so it was Mother's Day weekend. I went back for Mother's Day, and so I think I took that Monday off, and then Tuesday I was back in the office. Right. Right. Which, which I've heard you talk about, like that process of like taking a while to readjust to like normal life afterward, but like going into it with it being a big change of pace, did you expect it to be emotionally? draining at all or was it just like oh this is going to be fun it's going to be a cool experience i didn't know what to expect i remember i was invited to one red carpet after the show ended and i thought it was like the coolest thing i'm like what i got invited and i uh and i was told not to go because i was being considered for like maybe the bachelor some other stuff and a producer was like yeah i wouldn't go to that and i was like dude like this is the coolest thing in my life. Like, what do you mean? And he's like, and I remember him saying, and this is before the show aired. He's like, you'll have plenty of opportunity for stuff like this. And I was just, that was the moment I was like, what? Like, how, how's this going to work? You know? Mm. And then the show aired. And for six weeks, I was barely on it. You know, my buddies are like, are you sure you're on the show? Like, I went, (laughs) and then I had one big one-on-one uh, where she, uh, the bachelorette actually surprised her name's Becca. She surprised me with three of my friends. And one of my friends was the guy who was in regionals uh, in New York and he was there. Gosh. And, uh, that, that's when things started to change. Like all of a sudden I had like, you know, 
500,000 followers. And then it was like thousands and thousands are coming in DMs and emails and all these people. And then people reach out to my mom and then my brother. And like, people was like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's, what the hell's going on? And oh, it just kind of so happened in one episode. Did one you ever, episode. did you ever watch it before? The show, yeah. So my mom is a huge fan of it. Gotcha. Uh, so like <laughs> growing up, like I remember like early 2000s, I was like time I'd hang out with my mom. Yeah. And then kind of pretty much got away from it. And then I had one roommate that was obsessed with it. Like That's obsessed. With, and a funny, a really funny thing is that I remember watching Nick Vial's season with him. Mm-hmm. And I like went on Facebook and I was like kind of chirping Nick a little bit. I was like, yeah. this is your bachelor. We got four of us. I took a picture of us. For I'm like, you can pick from us. And other than that, like never had any connection yeah. to the show, but watch. So did you see, did you see Caitlin then on? I did not watch her season. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't watch her season. Her season re-aired in summer of 2020. And the funny part is it was my mom's 60th birthday. It aired the same, like same day. Mm-hmm. So we went back home uh, to visit my mom with Caitlin and they're re-airing this. We're like, this is, oh, you know, we're trying right. to celebrate my mom's 60th <laughs> and we got to watch this. And like, I, I understand a lot of the premise of what happened on her show. And uh, the funny thing was, is like my mom, like late, she was like, Let's go, girl. Let's get the wine. Let's watch this shit. And she had already seen it. You know? yeah. And she's like, we're going to do it. And my dad and I were like, uh, we're just going to play poker downstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I would come up like once in a while, I'd come up 10 minutes. And I'd see like Ben Higgins making out with Caitlin. I'm like, I'm out of here. <laughs> come down. I see like Jared, who's married to Ashley. And I'll be like, Jared's like crying because of Caitlin, like dumping on like, what is going on? This is so messed up. So then I just like stayed downstairs the rest that of the time. Hilarious. How, how how much of it is real versus like that's the burning question? Because because that's with every show. I, I interviewed a reality TV producer one time. And sure. We talked about depending on the show. Yeah. There's how much they interfere. You know, depends. And obviously on the Bachelor, you can tell sometimes like a producer is going like, you know. Hey, you should walk into this room right now. You know, yeah. I'm sure there's some of that, but how much of it do you feel genuinely reflected what was happening while you were there? I think, you know, the circumstances create um, magnified emotion and the magnified emotion creates your reality in that exact moment. Huh. So you have no phone, no TV, no internet, you have no friends, you have no family. Uh, so that's already a bizarre set of circumstances, right? Yeah. So if you want to think about, if anyone out there is like, how do I start connecting with myself a little bit? Try to do that for a day. Yeah. No friends, no family, no TV, no internet. No, just do it for 24 hours and you'll connect with yourself. Now go do it for three months. Um, and so mm-hmm. your your emotional state is extremely heightened and you're living in a world, an alternate universe and as a result of that, like your eyes are on the one person and in re- and, and, and that circumstances are set where 30 other like really uh, impressive people are also have their yeah. eyes on that person. So it creates a state of emotion that you're typically not living in. Mm. But I do think like when people are expressing their emotion at that time, for the most part, not always. For the most part, I do feel that those people are really feeling those feelings. Yeah. And as a result of that, that's why it's tra- like no one's in that. For them, I've never heard of an actor being on the show. Right. And if there is, people like do all the research and they'll find out like, right. oh, they did one acting class. Yeah. 
So it's that's why it's <laughs> yeah. so I think people feel it through the screen is because in that moment right there you're living in this world where that isn't a real it's that is a yeah. heightened real emotion. <clears throat> yeah. And then you, the, the world that world cracks and all of a sudden you're back in the real world and you're like what's going on and then that guy your friends like did you really love her? And you're like you think it all of a I don't know anything anymore. <laughs> like starting to question everything. Did you have stuff like that where people that knew you, like even your mom or somebody were like, why did you do that? Like that doesn't seem like you. Did it's, you have those it's moments? It's really fun to watch hometowns now being someone in hometowns because I remember speaking to my dad and my mom in ways I've never spoken to them. Like, mm-hmm. I really love this girl. I care about her. My dad's like, <laughs> like shit like, like drug can testing, you wake yeah. up like yeah. what's going on like what you doing to this kid yeah. you know but like i when i, I remember sitting it, i was same. like it's kind of a setup like this i remember talking yeah. like don't dad like i'm this is it like i'm and i was saying about conviction i yeah. like yeah. meant it and so i think there's something to be said about that but there's also something to be said about like it a lot it did allow me to connect with myself a lot better for so many years i was compartmentalizing things mm. and i remember on week two they do these interviews right they're trying to get they want you to crack a little bit give them something yeah. i wouldn't give anything i was like a politician i'm like yeah but things are great what do you think about your ex-girlfriend she's amazing what do you think about her family <laughs> they're great we love them and so, and so like she cut the cameras off the producer she's like all right we're done here i was like what did i say she's like Nothing. i don't think and she just said yeah she like yeah. said i don't know what your deal is and I'm like, my deal. <laughs> what? what are you talking about? She goes, you just you just live this perfect life. Nothing's ever wrong. You have no resentment. Like nothing. You've never like been upset about the fact. You're like, how'd your ex girlfriend you guys break up? It was perfect. Like how's everything just like perfect? And like she's like, I just feel like you're not addressing things in your life. And like she kind of hit me at the core. And I'm like sitting there, and it was two weeks with no friends. I'm like starting to cry. I'm like, and the cameras were off, and I'm like, she's right. Yeah, she's right. And I like started like, yeah, like she broke me. She like broke me. But like that, I remember that night. I was thinking, I've like got real in my feelings. And you think about how how many things we have to distract us from our feelings. Yeah, Yeah. this is the biggest one. And so it like. A lot of people, I will say, go through these goods and bads through the show. We're seeing a bachelor right now go through a lot of bad. But you come out of it, at least for me, I came out like way more connected with myself, mm-hmm. as weird as that sounds. And much, I, I like dropped in, I've never dropped into like my authentic self. And the show allowed me to do that, which bled into my financial life and my personal life and my professional life it gets like it's not just about feelings with relationships when you drop into like who you are for the first time it opens everything mm. how long after um you got back were you like i can't i can't be working here anymore this is not well, not doing it for me yeah well i didn't you know when i before i left i didn't want to work there anymore yeah. <laughs> i was ready to go but when i got back um, for me, it was, I was really focused on, I know I'm going to leave. I know I'm going to leave this job. <clears throat> How do I continue to just meet the expectations? Cause if I can continue to bring cash flow in from work and now I'm getting like besides speaking events and appearances and now social media stuff, I'm like, if I could do both for as long as humanly possible, then at that two-year mark, which was October of 2019, I'll be in a really good position to go do what I want, mm-hmm. not an okay position. So that was my kind of theory when I went back. 
So you still waited the whole two years then is when you officially quit then you still waited that whole time? No. So, so I thought the book is called the restart roadmap and the, the big premise of why I wrote the book, there's two reasons. One, because I feel like in my 10 years, I got a lot of behind the curtain, um, vision and through that vision, I realized how many people don't get that in their careers and finances. And so part of the book is bringing that to life. Like if, if you, you know, how many times do people say, if I knew, you know, then what I know now, so how can I bring that in front of people today? Sure. That was one. The other thing I was putting this like ultimate ultimatum where, uh, my, I was, so Caitlin has a podcast called off the vine. And so her whole thing is like, it's women empowerment. And so she brings people on who, um, her listeners look up to actors, actresses, celebrities, comedians, whatever it is. And one of the things at the end is like, you have to make a confession. The idea is that the people you look up to still have like super embarrassing moments and are extremely relatable. Your confession is super memorable for that mm-hmm. episode. I was listening to that. Today. Oh, were you? All right. <laughs> well, her confession is the one that got me in trouble. Mm. So her, her confession was she talked about the fact that the first time we hooked up, we dry humped and she orgasmed. <laughs> And she's like, that's my guy, right? I mean, so that's what she said. There you go. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, it's not the most embarrassing. Right. That's a great so, confession for you. So yeah, right? take it. So <laughs> then it hit all these headlines. And uh, I was putting this like ultimatum, like, okay, you're either going to restart your your position at the bank. You can't do it. No more side hustle. No podcast. No social media. HR wasn't a fan of HR that. HR didn't like yeah. that. And so pretty much they're like, you can delete everything outside your life. Uh, and just be a banker or go restart outside. And that's what they said. Go restart your brand. And so I created a company called Restart to help people do that and work on personal financial navigation and left, let, ended up leaving the bank. Well, I'm, I'm curious about that because like, obviously we talk all the time on the business podcast about building your audience and building your brand and all that sort of thing. And you had this huge influx of people that loved you because you were on the show that they loved, you know, like 500,000 people diving in for that to take what, they love about you, which is you on the show and then say, Hey, let's talk about finance. Like, was that jarring for the people following you? Did you have people going like, why are you talking about this? Who cares? Like, we want to know more about dry humping. You know, that's, more, <laughs> that's more the content we're here for. Yeah. I mean, I still have that issue. <laughs> um, so one of the things I had to do was, well, I, sl- I slowly started to realize like the example I always talk about is like, if I have a toothbrush, right. And it's from Colgate and and there's a deal on the table for me. And there's a deal on the deal table for Caitlin. And there's a deal on the table for the next bachelor and the next bachelorette and the next person who's like the next hot thing. All of us have teeth. All of us brush our teeth. We could all talk about it, right? But like where I started to get a little smart with this branding thing was how do I create a product that can't do that, mm-hmm. right? So the, I think one of the first deals was, uh, it was a State Farm insurance deal. It was like a small business State Farm insurance deal. And they, they had said like, well, there's no one else from the bachelor world who can pitch this as well. So we'll pay a premium to have Jason. And that's when I clicked to me. I was like, wait a second. That, if I if, suppose we're talking about QuickBooks, we're talking yep. about an investing app. Now I have something I can explain in my terms, simplify it. And the other bachelor or bachelorette or hottest guy or hottest girl or coolest trending thing, maybe they can't do that. Mm-hmm. So that's where I slowly started differentiating. And then I created a restart page where I could do all my business stuff. Um, and I will say that's still the Nick podcast. When I had him on, we talk about this a lot, build a platform because of the show, and then you could build other businesses and brands off of it. And the people interested will go to it, but it's still a very difficult thing. on like personal forms of social media 
to not continually talk about your relationship and The Bachelor and shows like that's because that's why they're there. Yeah. So it's a constant battle uh, in our in your business plans and in what you're doing and how you're doing it. We're thinking about. At least I am. At least I'm thinking about it. That's kind of the cool thing about your brand anyway, the restart roadmap is that that's, that's essentially another restart right there. You know, like, like the the point is, the point is everybody should always be reinventing. You should always be adapting, changing, learning, growing, willing to move somewhere else or niche down further. Like is basically what you did is you just picked a niche, you know, like bachelor world is super wide. You're talking to an, in anybody audience, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, um, maybe leaning more female, but basically like in anybody audience. Sure. And so you took it and turned it into people who want to learn about personal finance should come to my stuff, you know, and yeah. there's a segment of the bachelor population that does want to hear about that. For sure. And they followed you now to, to trading secrets. For sure. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, everything you said, I just, I completely agree with. And I think I've, I've learned, I've, done some like market research on like big, big influencers. And what they'll do is they'll take a lot of um, polling data from their audience and then they'll implement what they want to do because they got to listen to people that are following them. And so I did, I did just that. It was, I've told this story a million times, but it was when uh, Dow Jones and SP were getting crushed in March, Mm -hmm. right? Because of COVID. And so I just put a poll out there right now like my audience can you explain what s&p 500 is and it was 200 over 250,000 people responded to it 91% said they could not and that's when i was like whoa we got to address this yeah and so then i was like all right if you can't here's a page it's just for business if you're not into that don't worry about it but go follow it i started it and so we broke down uh because I think, in the, especially in the finance and business world, there's a lot of jargons used. There's a lot of fast conversation. There's a lot of things that are put in place, like at the hedge fund level, or the private equity level, uh, venture capital level, to make, like, to really put gas on the fire for imposter syndrome. Like, totally, this yeah. is our world. Yeah. You can't get here. <clears throat> and right. so my makes people feel dumb. Make people feel dumb. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I, there were times when I was trying to learn that world that I felt dumb. Yeah. So I had to connect normal things on a day-to-day basis for it to click. <laughs> totally. And so now I'm reverse engineering that and these co- these like more sophisticated concepts that I now understand, I'll use very basic things, the same basic things I use for it to click in my head yeah. to explain it to others, and it, it's worked. Awesome. And but, so it helps. Yeah, I loved I loved Jordan Belfort on his interview where he's like, yeah, and then there's nine percent that lied and said they knew how to explain it. Honestly, he said that perfectly. Nine percent. He said that perfectly. Like the nine percent were full of shit. <laughs> yeah. right. Dude, it's so funny you say that because that, that's essentially. I mean, that's that's my story for sure is just you, you, you hear a term, you feel dumb for not knowing it. Mm-hmm. So then I just, Google so now it. you know the term. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, it's, but at least yeah. I, just, right. you know, you Google it and you learn about it. Uh, I just I remember, I don't know why it sticks out in my head when you were talking, but um, we we're in uh, Paris for her birthday a couple years ago. And I just remember it, it was like, it was before I started the software company, mm-hmm. but I was running uh, a different business at the time. And I remember people kept talking about EBITDA all the time. EBITDA, yeah. EBITDA. I was like, I was like, I was like, I know. Oh, it's, so, it's like, such a good example. I, was like, I know, such I know example. that it's like referring to so, like a metric in your business about revenue, but I yep. don't know exactly like what does that mean. And I think I might have even knew like the terms, like mm-hmm. the actual like amortization, like every like every letter, what yep. it stands for, you know. And and uh, but I was just like, but what does that actually mean though? 
like <laughs> earnings before taxes and depreciation. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, like, yeah. But, but what is that? How does that? So I was literally in bed in Paris <laughs> at 3 a.m. <laughs> like, couldn't sleep. Yeah, you're like, come on. 3 right? o'clock in the morning, it's I'm the like, place. Investopedia. That's just, just That's romantic. Just so romantic, right? Reading about EBITDA. Uh-huh. But, uh, but, it, but to, to, to your point, though, it's just like people just say stuff like this. Totally. And you're just like, I'm sorry, but I might be the dumbest one here. I don't know what that means. Can yeah. somebody please explain yeah. this to me in a way that is actually going to make sense and stay in my brain by the time I leave? You know? <laughs> so but, funny. And it's cool that someone like you stepped into that space because I think that uh, the majority of people that are doing financial education are purely financial people. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, they're boring as hell. Sure. <laughs> they take a dry material. They're, they're nerds. And, yeah. and yeah. they make it even more dry. They do. Somehow. Yeah. <laughs> they make yeah. it more dry more than dry. it already is. Yeah. And, uh, and then it's, it's difficult for people like that to pierce the population who need it. Sure. Right? The only sure. people that are listening to them are the people like you or me who's searching, actively looking sure. for like, what does this mean? How can I learn about this? Just Let small. me look for this thing. Yeah. You know, it's a, exactly some very small segment. So for somebody like you to have a mass, yeah. like wide reaching audience to talk to the 20 year old college student. Yes. Yeah. It's like know, who really to needs to hear it, but yeah. they have no idea what it is no because idea. our fi- like for being the country in the world that like pushes people to, you know, the American dream or making more money or uh, taking advantage of, of, of capitalism, we sure do you know, a really piss poor job of educating people of how to take advantage of the financial system. Totally. There's totally. I agree. Very, very, very needed. Um, totally. So on that line, let's talk about that just for a second. Cause a lot of sure. people listen to the show. They're figuring this stuff out too, man. Sure. It's just like, sure. What, 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 what are we supposed to know about this? So yeah. what are like, I don't know, two or three, just a few financial principles that you govern your personal finance by that maybe, um, that maybe the general population might not be aware of or don't know about. Okay, that's a good one. So, uh, well, right now everyone's really focused on, especially with like inflation, and everything, and crypto and NFTs. People are focused on this like get rich quick scheme, and we talked about it on Jordan Belfort's podcast. Like, you have to hit pause if you're trying to like get rich quick. Hit pause immediately, and you need to focus on three things. Is what I'll say: the first thing is debt management. It's boring. It's awful to talk about. No one wants to talk about their credit card debt. No one wants to talk about their credit score. No one wants to talk about the current debt they have. It's there's nothing sexy about it, but it is literally the it's the bedrock. It's the foundation of your financial health. And so there's great debt that can really build you a ton of wealth, as you know, like when you're growing a business or potentially real estate, and there's debt that could literally destroy you. Uh, and understanding your debt foundation is massive. The second one is uh, it's boring again, but it's budgeting. <laughs> now, I'll make it a little sexier. Uh, what I like to focus on is behavioral-based budgeting. So if you take three months of your credit card statements, I talk about this on the when I was on The Bachelor, and you analyze it, not the dollars, not the transactions. You just look at the psychology of your spending. You're going to learn what it's like going to a therapist. <laughs> if you're just 20 minutes, three months of credit card statements, just go down. You're going to learn so much about yourself. Are you spending it like, where are your biggest expenses? Are you in like luxury items? Well, what are you trying to do there? Are you trying to impress someone? Is there something in security? Are you doing it for happiness? Oh, maybe there's reoccurring uh, monthly expenses that you forgot about subscriptions. Okay, you're not organized. Like, why, you know, what is maybe it's for me when I was in my early 20s, I had these extra, like ridiculous bar bills. 
what am I doing? I, I knew I wasn't drinking that much. I'll tell you what I was doing. I was trying to be the fucking guy. I was trying to like, here's my tab. Who wants a drink? I wanted to feel cool. I was feeling it cool because that was like my way of dealing with the insecurities at work, dealing with the lack of confidence with who I was. So where would I make up for that? Being cool at the bar, what I perceived as being cool by buying people drinks. Like, there's so much you can learn about yourself based on you're spending. Mm. So not only are you budgeting, but you're looking at your behaviors to try and uh, minimize what's going to happen moving forward. So budgeting is massive, especially now 7.9% inflation. Like if you're, if you weren't budgeting a year ago, it wasn't good. You should be. If you're not budgeting now, you could be completely screwed because yeah. the price of everything is just, it's, I mean, in 12 month period, it's increased more uh, than, it had, than we've seen in 40 years. January 1982 is the last time we've seen a 12 month hike like this. So if that doesn't scare you, I don't know what will. You have to budget. Yeah. And the third one I'll say is, and this goes both ways spending and earning, negotiate for everything. Mm. You have to negotiate for every single penny, what you're spending on the big purchases, where you're making money. Someone pays you for something. Does it make sense? Because unfortunately, we're in a position right now where price of, of a consumer price index is up what it is, 7.9%. And you have to you have to kind of defend that. Otherwise, your net cash flow to your wealth, to your name, to your family will be decreased uh, drastically the material materially if you don't do that. So negotiating both sides, spending and buying, behavioral-based budgeting, uh, really strong focus on debt management. Those yeah. are the three pillars. I love that, dude. It's a perfect foundation for anybody. Yeah. Um, let's say we have some people out there that are listening and they're like, okay, yeah, you know, I've got some of that under my belt. Um, but now I'm at the point where I have a little bit of excess cash, you know, and, and, you know, if there, there are a lot of people that are, that are, you know, struggling and in debt right now yeah. and COVID decimated them, but there are also a lot of people that find themselves in a surplus of cash totally. and they're sitting on cash and letting it waste away in their bank account just simply because they don't know what to do with it. They yeah. don't know how to invest it without feeling like they just lost all the money that they've worked really hard to earn. Sure. So what do you have any kind of, and I know none of this is investing in financial advice, <laughs> disclaimer, 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 but what are your there. thoughts yeah. on how to get started in letting your money work for you, which is totally. really where wealth is built. Yeah. So this, we could do a whole podcast on this, but let's touch on it a little bit. So first of all, debt's got to be taken care of so that all your interest rate, let's just make sure at the at the bare minimum, your interest rates are all lower than inflation. So 7.9% or lower. And that's being extremely uh, re- like liberal with everything. So yeah. it should be better than that. But if it's not, so assume that's the case, then the step two is you have a rainy day fund. So I would say rainy day fund. If I look at each of you right now, you should be able to quickly tell me a pretty solid idea of your fixed and variable costs on a monthly basis. And so what you should have is a minimum of what I like to say is like, consider like, again, very liberally two months of cash. So if I take your monthly costs, your fixed costs, your variable costs in an account, two months minimum on a ridiculous standpoint, 12 months. But that's being extremely risk averse. Mm-hmm. So in cash. So debt's good. Now you got your rainy day fund set. Those two things are taken care of. Now it's time to get smart. So you want to think about tax strategy and you want to think about investing. Let's talk quickly tax strategy. 401k. If you have a 401k right now and you have any bit of match, match it to what it is. It's a hundred percent return. Uh, if you have an HSA, a high deductible plan, put your money in the high deductible plan. It's a triple tax advantage. So you're going to have significant impact there. If you're younger and you can afford, 
get a Roth IRA, right? The idea behind a Roth, like very quickly, is that when you're 22, you're probably going to have a less taxed, uh, let's say tax percentage, I won't get like technical, than when you're 65, right? So if you think, if you're listening to this and you think that you will make more money as you age, a Roth IRA is a strategy for you to deploy after tax dollars. So those are some like tax quick, simple things. And once you're like, Jason, I'm past that. Now I have excess cash. I really want to get busy in the market. The first thing you got to say to yourself is like, we're in Vegas. It's a perfect example. What is your risk tolerance, right? Us four might go to the Wynn Casino and you might say, you know what? You guys go gamble. I'm just going to get the free drinks, right? And Jackie might say, you know what? Fuck that. I'm putting a thousand bucks on red. Let's go. <laughs> we're all going to have different risk tolerances. And based on those risk tolerances, you're going to do different things. You're going to deploy your money differently. So you have to understand what your risk tolerance is. Then based on your risk tolerance, there's going to be a lot of investment opportunity for you, right? You could look at commodities. You could look at real estate. If you can't afford real estate, you could look at REITs, so publicly traded REITs. There's a lot of mutual funds out there. I mean, there's so many. Obviously, there's crypto, there's NFTs, there's, there's equities, there's casinos, <laughs> there's going $1,000 on red. Yes. So your investment <laughs> options will change, but you can't make a decision on what your investment options will be until you know what your risk tolerance is. And that's a really important stage of the process. I'm going to th- inject something in there before we move on to a different topic. I know you guys wanted to ask a couple of questions, but um, the only thing, I mean, dude, this, that was a perfect layout of that. Like we could just clip that and send it to people who ask us about uh, finances. Um, you gotta, you gotta make sure you're not spending more than you're taking in debt management and then make sure that you're not losing all the money as soon as it comes in tax advantages and then make sure your money's making money for you while you're sleeping. Um, the, uh, the, uh, before we, before I get into this real quick thoughts on where crypto NFT is going. Yeah. So I think there's just so much, uh, so much to discuss here. Let's just talk crypto real quick. So crypto, I think it's, it's, it's been bullish. It's been bearish. It's been bullish, bullish. It's been bearish. The volatility is out of control. I think now more than ever, you're starting to see more and more utilization for another currency that's decentralized. Um, I think we saw it a lot during, um, administrative changes and uh, more regulations being put in place, there's a lot of gravitating towards a decentralized currency like crypto. Now, when you're looking at like world, like a, a world war three, potentially uh, coming to like coming to light, the idea of decentralized currency is advantageous for so many different countries and mm-hmm. people and yeah. things. And so I think, I'm just, I am bullish in general on cryptocurrency because of the utilization of decentralization. I think that makes sense yeah. to me. NFTs. Oh, all right. So <laughs> <laughs> here's, let's just like, if I could, I, I know, again, we could do a whole a podcast. Yeah. Because uh. <laughs> we could do a whole breakdown. Here's where it's really cool. It's really cool for creators. Like, uh, you know, I gave this example the other day on my Instagram. Like Van Gogh back in the day didn't sell, you know, I think he sold one painting when he was alive. Mm. Now his his 
biggest painting is worth over $150 million. Van Gogh has nothing to see, but his family doesn't, his state, no one does except his legacy. The idea about artists having this ability to create and see royalties for the longevity of it, whether it pops in a hundred years or two years is very unique. The ability of membership to find a way to always pay someone who's been involved. Like think about country club memberships. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I, I had a country club membership in Buffalo. I had to let it go because I left. Yeah. Saw nothing. I spent money. Imagine country clubs. You can now have a utility, to, uh, NFT tied to it and you would resell it. And the country club would make revenue every time it's resold and there's more demand. And I think what Gary Vee obviously has done with Flyfish in New York City with the restaurant is a game changer. So when you're seeing utility and contractual royalty to artists and yeah. restaurants and things <clears throat> like that, it's changing the game. Like or, restaurants with fractional ownership of fractional ownership. Things. Yeah. You can own verified fractional. Yeah, verified fractional. Yeah. Like you own a, uh, you know, there's an artist you love. You just saw at the casino playing. You're like, Oh my God. And he comes out with a CD. You could literally buy yeah. his music. Yeah. Like those are things that Tarantino are really cool. Scripts. To, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But the idea I, I will say, but on, on the business side of marketing projects for NFTs and, the overlying strategy is how do you create as much smoke and mirrors to build as much hype as you can, to build the greatest community can, to just sell the second it mints, sell out. And it's just, it's, it's artificially built supply and demand. Yeah. And all the brain power is thinking about what can we do to artificially build an instant demand? Yeah. Can we get celebrities? Can we get credibility people? Well, I mean, what, what angle? And that, is where consumers have to get smarter and smarter. Yeah. And you're seeing consumers get smarter and smarter. And that's where the concern is, is with the tokens and the NFTs, there's just a lot of artificially built demand, which sure. is scary. There's so much skepticism about it, you know, mm -hmm. because it is like, it's artificial. Like it's an artificial value for a lot of it, you know, and I understand probably the least in this room about it. Like I, I hear conversation about it, but like you see whenever someone posts about it, like the comments are just ripping them to shreds. Like, like, oh, this is just a JPEG, or this is just you <laughs> yeah. Know, there's right. all these comments about it. So yeah, people are people always definitely mock something that they don't understand yeah. until True. they're forced to understand it. You know, True. I, I think it'll be something very similar. I think it'll be a big bubble that'll pop. Yeah, and the ones that are trident, the the V friends and yeah. the board apes and these kind of legacy plays are going to withstand yeah. that. And 90% of the other projects are going to crash and burn. And like anything else. In a couple of years, yeah. people will start seeing the more utilization mm -hmm. of all the independent projects that were going on over these last, like, you know, this last year or two. Um, on, on the crypto conversation specifically, are, are there any coins that you are bullish on versus bearish? See, I'm boring. Like, the, the, like so I want big market cap. I want consistency because it's a new space. And I have, I have about 11 or 12% in my of like my worth in crypto. I'll pull up one of my Binance. I think it's Cardona. I'm big on Solana. I'm big on Ethereum. Uh, all have great utilization. Yeah. All yeah. the, the big market cap coins with good utilization and good backing. It's not loading right now, but those are, I don't, I don't know if I missed any of the big coins, but if you look, if you go Google like your top five market cap coins, those are the ones that I'm invested in. So with the big uh, Solana, uh, Ethereum <laughs> and Bitcoin, big exposure there. So I think I think you'll appreciate this. Have you heard of the Bitcoin box? Bitcoin, like a um, in terms of like Bitcoin being capped at a certain. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. So, um, super interesting conversation that I, I was at a mastermind recently, and a buddy's a buddy of mine's friend 
or, or a buddy of mine's dad. Um, and I'm not hundred percent sure that he wants us sharing this. So I'll ask him and you can cut it out. If not. <laughs> um, but he was talking about, he was talking about Bitcoin. And, uh, so he just took his fund public, which okay. is very rare. Obviously yep. it's a decabillion dollar, uh, mostly real estate fund. It's a fund that owned like 115 other funds that they started, took it public at like $28 billion market cap. It's now around the trading, like 33, $34 billion market cap. And so the guy, he, the, this guy's dad is the founder and CFO of the fund gets up in front of us talking about Bitcoin. Okay. <clears throat> and to this point, I was very bullish, like, um, you know, buying every week and stuff. Sure. Just like, I, I believe in the longevity, the long term of the project. And, uh, he throws out this hypothetical that like has me just really con- like reconsidering my entire position on it. Okay. And so I'm curious if you, if you heard on this or, or if you have anything to say about it, but, uh, he basically goes, okay, so rewind a couple of years ago, JP Morgan gets fined. Um, 900 something million dollars, a billion dollars because they were found to be, um, manipulating the gold market. Gold market is a eight, $10 billion market or something like that. And, uh, JP Morgan basically owned enough of the market to control the trading volume on any given day. And so they did this for nine years, JP Morgan did. So his entire talk up to this point is all about how the Fed is the most successful business of all time, essentially. Sure. If you look at it like a business instead of a government entity, it's essentially a business and they have a product and the product that they sell is the US dollar. Mm -hmm. The US dollar was a product that was devised to be a currency that controlled the rest of the world's currency Mm -hmm. after we eliminated gold backing of, of fiat currency. And so Fed gets created to basically sell the dollar to the world. Mm -hmm. And so he poses the idea that like, he was like, what's the Fed's number one job? And, you know, people start throwing out typical answers. Sure. And he goes, the Fed's number one job is to protect the dollar, to protect the integrity of the dollar. And so he's looking at decentralized currency as potential options. And he was like, we all agree that these are good things that we're Mm -hmm. taking away control from centralized powers and putting them in the hands of people, whatever. He's like, but is that the best thing for the dollar? And he was like, no, probably not. You know, it, it, it takes away power from Mm -hmm. the dollar. And so he goes, he's like, he's like, I don't run predictions. I run probabilities. I don't predict things. I just run what I think is most probable. He's like, so I'm about 85% on this one. I'm not hundred percent because I have no idea and I can't fact check it or verify it. He's like, but I'm about 85% sure. So he analyzes the trading chart of of Bitcoin. And some of you have have stopped listening because it's boring, but I'm lying. (laughs) I'm totally here. I'm with you. I'm just thinking this is good. So I hope I don't have to cut it. (laughs) I'm locked in. I'm just sitting here. Like, oh, we have to cut it anyway, but go ahead. (laughs) He analyzes the chart of Bitcoin trading since everything came out with JP Morgan and they got fined. So like a month after they get fined, analyze the trading chart of Bitcoin based on the data from the last, whatever, 10, 12 years that it's been around. And he was like, if you look at the the trading chart on Bitcoin, it starts following um, an abnormal pattern. Um, right around this time period, like very soon after this news came out. And he goes, Bitcoin is about one-tenth 
of the market cap of gold. It's mm-hmm. about seven to $800 million market cap is Bitcoin. And JP Morgan, Morgan Chase is a private, a private company with, with a finite amount of dollars right. at their disposal. And they were able to control a $10 billion market cap with gold <laughs> with their finite resources. Yep. He was like, all you really need is 45 days worth of trading volume to control the market. And so his theory is basically that the Fed bought enough Bitcoin after they saw what Chase did to control about to to have 45 days worth of trading volume. And so now they have full control over what Bitcoin does or doesn't do. And he was like, by all accounts, by the charts, by every like all the data that we have, Bitcoin should be up over $100,000 right now. Mm. It's like, it should be, but it's not. It's 40,000, 43,000 or whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, he was like, my theory is that the Fed bought up enough Bitcoin. And then once Bitcoin started going down after the supply decreased, they uh, uh, and people started selling off their Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. What did the Fed do? They came in and they bought yeah, all the yeah. Bitcoin at Maybe the lower price, and like so they so they they rode Bitcoin up to the sixty set because it got up to almost seventy thousand, almost yeah. right? It was like sixty nine eight yeah. or something. So they bought 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 bought, and then they sold sold mm-hmm. sold sold, and it started going down. So everybody starts selling their Bitcoin because they see it going down and Bitcoin's a volatile market. Right. So it drops down to, you know, whatever it was, 52 or whatever, Fed buys it up until they control enough trading volume to basically keep it in this theoretical mm. box where they'll be able to control the price, which is why it hasn't gone up Good to the job. levels that it should be at. Yeah. And he's just throwing it out there. He's just like, so if Chase, a private company with finite resources, can, can <laughs> control a $10 billion market then the Fed, which is the most powerful company of all time, selling the most popular product of all time, can certainly control a market that's one-tenth the size of gold if they decided to do it. So he was like, that's my theory on why Bitcoin is not going go, not, not to go up unless the Fed decides it's going to go up. Totally. I want to get your take on it, but I want to re-engage the audience. Dry humping. Okay, now that you're back in, <laughs> back to this. Okay. Yeah. That's why you Dry humping. Here we go. That was, a, that was a shift. My brain was locked. Uh, you just yeah, forgot everything. We'll make, it, we'll make it quick in case, in case you cut it out. I think I think the idea, too, is that there, market manipulation is a real thing. Yeah, yeah. Right? I, mean, I think all currencies, all places, all things, when you have the mass population... Uh, starting to believe everything they're hearing. Uh, that is when it becomes a big concern, right? If everyone's starting to buy it, everyone's starting to act, there's a greater institution that's going to find a way to capitalize on that mass public. When I was on my Uber here, literally the guy said, oh, so where are you going? I said, oh, I'm going to do a podcast. Oh, what's it on? Business and leadership and entrepreneurship and some other areas. He goes, I guess you, I guarantee you're talking about Bitcoin. I mean, this is my Uber driver. <laughs> literally like you're talking about Bitcoin and NFTs. So I think when media and, 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 and momentum has hit a perspective where literally the entire mass population is talking about it, you're going to get bigger institutions that come in and take advantage of it. I, I'm not going to say who this person was or who they were affiliated with, but they were a very, 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 very big person in uh, executive leadership within casino management in Vegas. I swear to God, I literally couldn't repeat it unless it happened. 
It was 20 minutes before kickoff and I was eye to eye with this individual. And I said to this individual, what do you want to happen? And he said to me, it would be in the casino's best interest if LA won by three. And I was like, well, why is that? Well, in this casino's interest, most of the money is on Cincy, Moneyline, and LA by four. And I was like, okay. I go, how much? He's like, those are things I can't tell you. I said, how much is the industry? And the response was $20 billion. So you look at the NFL, which is a huge business, but you look at the gambling market. And so you look at where the mass population is moving. The mass population is on Cincy Moneyline. The mass population is on LA plus four or LA minus four. What the hell happened? The, some of the weirdest calls I've ever seen, a missed extra point, LA wins by three. I think my point is, is that if you have any type of conspiracy or you're starting to shake your head a little bit at how a greater institution is making more money or uh, angling or hedging against the mass population when they start to move, uh, I think due diligence is worth seeking. Yeah, I can't even tell you how stressed you, I just got. Yeah. <laughs> like you, my like my you, spine just went. When, when they said, in my head, I'm like, yeah, good luck. You know, yeah. and then I'm watching this shit unfold. I'm like, oh my God, man, actually, oh my God, what was that call? Wait you a second. Oh my God, the they would have scored. Oh my God. And I'm like, yeah. wait a second. Yeah, he's on his telegram. Yeah, I'm yeah. not out anybody, but wait a minute. That That's didn't crazy. Sound Sending right. some encrypted messages during the game. And I yeah. wouldn't believe it unless I heard it right well, from the mouth that I did. Whatever it does, it'll be a great Adam McKay movie in like four years. Whatever happens, <laughs> Bitcoin's going to be. All right, now everybody's bored with finances. Let me ask sorry, my questions sorry. to get sorry, all the guys. girls back engaged in the conversation. And Eric. Sorry. <laughs> and Eric. No, I don't, yeah. Okay. Sure. So one of the things that we talk about, obviously, a lot is relationships. It's kind of like what I like to talk about a little bit more. So I would love to hear kind of like, obviously, you and Caitlin both run successful lives, successful businesses mm-hmm. apart from each other. So what are just some super practical things when you're both trying to chase your career? I work full time. I have two kids. He obviously runs a software company. So something we're constantly trying to struggle with of trying to find time for each other. Yeah. Trying to make time for that communication is obviously huge. You guys both travel a lot. So what are just kind of top of mind? What are certain like practical things that you guys do or tips and tricks you have for people who are trying to both be successful, but also yeah. still find a life together too? I think the biggest thing, like the biggest thing is like a mutual respect uh, in understanding like what is going to drive happiness for your partner. And so there, like I have a friend who's an oral surgeon and his wife just wants to work because it drives happiness. Like it makes, she loves it. So she works at Sur La Table, like Sur La Table or whatever it is. And she makes nine, 10 bucks an hour, but she works there 20 hours a week. He, they, their entity as a couple loses money when she works because when she works, she jokes around and says she usually buys stuff. And on top of that, they have to get a babysitter. But for her, it creates like this, like a ton of internal happiness. And so I think that understanding like what is going to drive happiness, both personally and professionally for your partner is mm. really important because that bleeds into how they are as a parent. That bleeds into their confidence. That bleeds into how they respect you. And I think the thing is, is that whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a stay-at-home dad or you're working full-time at 100 different directions, really understanding the value you can bring to one another is so pertinent because the value you could bring to one another in a relationship is so much more important than literally like the dollars and cents made. And where it gets really, 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 really toxic is when someone is leveraging the fact that they're making X, Y, and Z 
And they'll bring that into arguments and they'll bring that into decision-making that has nothing to do with it. And so I think one of the things that Caitlin and I is that we really have a mutual respect for the direction we're going. We're extremely supportive of it, although at times it's extremely inconvenient. Like we recognize that. Um, And we find ways to really bring value to one another's life. Like Caitlin brings a lot of creativity value. Um, You know, she's as raw and real as it gets. For most of my life, I wasn't. So she brings out my vulnerability, my open and honesty. As far as finances go, she like that's not her forte. So there's a lot of mm. uh, value. Like we don't have any type of uh, crossover when it relates to like skill sets and value add. And I think that's big. That's awesome. But it's also custom. Like people talk about work life balance. It's it's got to be a customized approach. Yeah, for sure. Because like your job, it says work-life balance because they have to, right? Yeah. They have to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. the only way you're going to have work-life there's balance no, is there's if no you, such thing. No, no. no really it's you, it, it, like, look at like even the unlimited PTO study, right? Like we all know that that was put in place to attract people. But realistically, the psych- psychological study behind that is you'll take less vacation time because of the peer pressure. Yeah. So that's why companies instituted it. Like this is what I'm talking about, pulling the, cor- the, the, the curtain back. Like let's talk about this stuff. The only way you have work-life balance is if you make it happen in your life, period. Um, and I think you have to customize it to every relationship. Yeah, and I think this is a great example, right? Like this worked out where I could come here and do some work and podcast. I can go to LA and do some work and podcast. I've totally adjusted my schedule in the last 72 hours, like <laughs> last four or five days to make this work. And as a result of that, I'm going to be able to spend probably a total of like 60 hours with Caitlin because she'll also be in LA. Yeah. Like that's a weird back-ass way of customizing work-life and, and balance. Your work is drinking wine on a podcast. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, so let me tell you though, going yeah. on her podcast is work because she backs you into corners and I'm like, I feel like I'm like a boxer <laughs> in my ass. Like, Where's she going with this? I start sweating the whole time. I'm like, here we go. That was the other moment I was stressed was listening to you on her show and the live show from, I think it was North Carolina. Oh, it's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. questions you're getting asked. I was like, holy smokes. Oh, I get crushed. And, <laughs> and then the guy that's like pretty like, people, like oh, yeah. they're going nuts. Yeah. And then, you know, they have to edit. Hey, you're an editor. So, yeah, you know, yeah. they have to edit most of that. So you can only imagine <laughs> the reality of it. Yeah. By the way, that, that was a PG rated podcast because my parents were in the audience. Yeah. There. yeah. My parents were there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was when the pH wash confession yeah. came out. Yeah. Well, well I, I got it. He's just like, yeah, the pH wash. Yeah. The one now? Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I, this I, is I, all over here. And we're talking about it. She's like, okay. Well, no, I got it. From Bitcoin to pH wash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I do want to ask because, like, I was listening to you on a couple different podcasts and, and you were giving really good relationship advice, which I want to definitely hit one of them for sure. But who, who modeled that for you? Like, because everybody has like the person that they look at and go like, that's kind of when I get married or when I'm in a relationship, yeah. I want to exemplify what I see in this person. Sometimes it's sure. parents, sometimes it's definitely not parents. Like, <laughs> who, who did you look at where you're like kind of gaining this wisdom from going to your own relationship? I think, I think it was my parents, right? Yeah. So they've been married over 35 years. Um, they come from two totally different families, two totally different backgrounds, uh, two totally different belief systems. I know you guys talked a little bit about religion on your podcast. So my mother is Jewish. My father is uh, Catholic. I was born and we were, you know, I was baptized and confirmed. And then also we would celebrate Hanukkah and Christmas. Right. So mm. it was, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, my, my mother's side was more of, uh, like, 
education professionals like he would my grandfather was an oral surgeon and a professor and my grandmother has her masters and was was is big into to nursing and my my father's side was uh my grandfather was a, a veteran and a small business grocery store owner like just a grinder uh so very different beliefs and systems and everything like that so but to see them come together as like a unit where it's they both they both have worked full time. Yeah. Um, they can their careers contribute at different levels monetarily, but they both work full time. So I I remember as a kid, yeah. I'd have to go to like you know have a babysitter and stuff, and I would see the way that they um, when they had disagreements growing up, you saw a mutual respect for hearing one another out, as opposed to I've witnessed it in friends' families where there's a dominant. Uh, discussion and mm-hmm. you could see someone wants to say something and yeah. they're not saying it. Like I could yeah. vividly remember this as a person. kid, yeah. right? There was no opinion because that person couldn't talk, mm. yeah. <laughs> which is, and I never witnessed that in our household. Yeah. And so I think I've always looked for a partner, right? Like if you think about like Caitlin and I, I've always looked for someone who's very like independently strong willed mm-hmm. and motivated. And I have exactly that. Yeah. And I think one of the things which is interesting is I think I hate to speak for men in generalities, but I do see at least in my small world, I hear and see a lot of men saying, that's what I want. I want someone who's independent. I want someone who's successful and motivated. Right. And then they get it. And they can't fucking handle it, yeah. 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 Because yeah. they can't deal with the competition. They can't deal with uh, the fact they're getting outperformed. They can't deal with the lack mm-hmm. of respect because of the dedication to work. And and that's I've witnessed it. And for me, that's I get this question a lot. Like, how do you feel that you're with someone who's got more fame and more notoriety and probably making more money? And uh, to me, I'm like, I think it's fucking awesome. I think it's unbelievable. Like if I'm doing what I could do to get her to achieve at her pinnacle and she could help me do my best, like that's a perfect partnership where I know from the seeing it, uh, people wish it and want it, but they can't handle it. Their ego gets in the way. Good point. I didn't want to talk about that too, because that was super interesting when you said that about how different religions your parent your parents both were growing up. Yep. And like how they addressed that with you as a kid. Like, did they ever I mean, did you go to church with both of them on like separate occasions? Or did yeah. then like at what point did they say, like, you gotta do what you want? Or like how did that mold like your belief system now? Yeah, yeah it was interesting because we weren't so I you know, I always I, I I like say this facetiously, but it also has a lot of reality. I have a gay brother, a Jewish mother, a Catholic father. Uh and I got we saw every I saw everything growing up. Yeah. You know, yeah, like no we saw kidding. all different yeah, worlds. Real, like, yeah. And I was like the athlete. So like, you know, we, we just there was it was uh it was my eyes were open to like a lot of different like backgrounds and beliefs and how people were raised. And I think we, we were never like pressured. My mother wasn't very big on bringing us to temple or anything. My dad was more into bringing us to church and getting us baptized and confirmed. But he used to always be very cognizant of like, this is what we are learning here. And this is what like the priest is speaking about. However, you know, you have to uh, conceptualize this and perceive it like to what makes sense to you. Oh, that's awesome. So, which was very rare. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. Very was, rare. Yeah, right. None of us yeah. can relate to anything we <laughs> no, just said. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what? So, it was, yeah. so the, you, the idea yeah. of marrying someone outside your belief system to any of us would be like, 
unequally well, yoked. Like that's yeah, not you're a thing. Not, so that's, yeah, you're that's not a true believer. Yeah. I mean, right, that's, right. Which is probably most people. Like, right. Yeah. And I think, you know, to, to bring it to the circle of that, I do think that was, I think there were some people in my mom's circle that raised an eyebrow. And I think there were some people in my dad's circle, sure. especially at that, you, those times that raised an eyebrow. And I'll, uh, yeah, there was even some internal, because we have some family members who are um, very involved in certain religions and they don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. And like, there was even one instance where uh, I, I uh, my understanding is there was like a, one of the cousins came up to my mom like crying because she was told that my mom was going to go to hell and she yeah. didn't want my mom oh, to go to hell. Now this is familiar. I was right? yeah. 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 So, yeah. Like, and my mom was, was like, like you know, that might have been me. She, she doesn't know. Yeah. Like this little, yeah, little yeah, girl yeah. at this time and she's grandma, I don't want Aunt Dale yeah. to go to hell. And my mom's yeah. like, what the fuck? Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah. a, who's saying what to who? Yeah. yeah. You know, I was uh, that cousin. So yeah. 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 I was the one. Wait a minute. Is that you? Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting to see how that just religion in general is changing by the minute in 2022. Have, have you carried any religious beliefs with you into, because one thing that always circles in my mind, because I hear people talk about this very open-minded, like take yeah. what applies to you. Yeah. But then the fundamentalist part of me from back in the day goes like, what's the point of religion at all? You know, if it's yeah. not all in What's the point of some? So, have you taken anything? Have you found value in it moving forward, or have you kind of laid it aside? I think I've I've found what I know. It's like it goes against like what I probably how you were brought up, but what works for me. And I think I do that with politics too. I try not to play. I think too many people with religion and politics, which are two things I don't really often talk about, uh, because it's tough in this world to express how you feel and not have to hear so much pushback that there's just like no winning anymore. Like, (laughs) but like, I think in general, there's, there's, it's become so polarizing that, uh, people are treating politics and religion is uh, a team is like a sporting yeah. event yeah. Uh, as opposed to right. Like my Buffalo bills, we still, we are now really good, but we <laughs> have sucked. We haven't made that. We were the long, the team, the longest to go without ever making a playoff, the longest <laughs> playoff drought in sports. I will stand by that team. I'll support the team. I'll criticize the team, but I will be there and bleed for them all day long. I don't <laughs> feel the same way as I do yeah. as my sports teams is my politics and my religion. Yeah. Uh, and I try and, uh, take more of a comment, like what makes sense to me like, like as opposed approach. to I'm <laughs> yeah. going to take a side sure. and yeah. stand by it with a flag, whether I'm right or wrong. Yeah. So that's huge. Yeah. That's awesome. yeah. And it's been, it'll be an interesting, like it's a interesting cover. I think then the, the discussion gets more, it grows and materializes to how do you want to raise kids? Right. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's where like Kaylin and I are like starting to have discussions and quite frankly, uh, a little, we're both a little, we're not, we're both a little lost with what we'll do. So yeah. we have some work to do there too. Mm. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's it's okay. We have two and we're still pretty lost. <laughs> we're like, they're not asking us full on questions yet. So we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is why we started this. That makes everything a little bit more difficult. It a little yeah. More complicated. Cause it it's easy. It, like before you have kids, it's easy just to be like, ah, I don't really think about it. Yeah. You know? yeah. Cause like, Cause I don't know where I stand you. on yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Like I kind of, I, I've, I've kind of been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, yeah. multiple right. t-shirts, you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like at this point it's like, all right, it's neither here nor there. But right. if my well, kid starts asking me questions that I'm like, well, uh, yeah, you don't want to be in hmm. that spot, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, and if people really are dying, going to hell, you don't want to be the reason why your kids are, you know, like that's right. Another, like, yeah. Well, if it happens to be you, true, like, if, if yeah. there's that one chance, are yeah. you going to be the one that like, yeah, it's, it's a, 
kids change well, the dynamic. The, you know, there's obviously other parents who feel very strong, like they're very uh, set in what they want. Yeah. And so yeah. as you guys know, they will instill those beliefs. Yeah. And then the kids will then, of course, believe and, yeah. and preach and talk about it. So then your son or daughter might come back and say, yep. well, th- they said this, like, then what? Yep. Like, oh, you know, then yeah. that's where there's yeah. a question. Exactly. That's what we were <laughs> just talking to even about um, cussing. Like we're going to be super careful even with our kids of not saying like, those are bad words because like, yeah. then you're teaching them because we say them. Cause then you're going to yeah. teach your kid that like the people you're saying that bad word that makes you a bad person. You said the bad words. So the same yeah. instance of like, totally. you can't tell them that if you're going to say it. like they're adult words that right. you say and you don't say, but same context of like you, have like even their little friends saying, you know, well, those are bad. That makes your parents bad people. Sure. Well, no, it doesn't. Like you're not supposed to say those words because you're That's not an adult. Like or same thing with wine or yeah, <laughs> yeah. anything like that. Like it's just it's kids are so moldable. You They're know, moldable like, and they comprehend. Yeah, yeah. And, it's and I think obviously as you have more information, you learn more. And even something I was I think I was around Caitlin's nephew or niece the other day or, or one of her friends, and it was something about like. uh I had like a piece of cake. I'm like, oh, I earned this. I'm going to go after that. <laughs> and she didn't say anything in the process, but on the side, she's like, hey, this is why you have to be cognizant of why when you say like, I'm earning that because of you're depriving yourself of it. All, all these things I like would never think about. Yeah, but these fair. kids are sponges. And yep. like whether it's right. body dysmorphia or anything else, it's yep. like you got to just be, I think it's our, your duty as an adult to at least be aware. Make it how you want to make it that you yeah. believe in, but you to not be aware of it, I yeah. think, well, is a little naive. Yeah. Well, that's one thing, and I know we're probably winding down, but like that's one thing you brought up on, I think it was next podcast, but you talked about this thing of, you know, things that come up now in arguments or conversations, like, are usually indicative of something that you might not know about from their past, mm-hmm. you know, and like, sure. and that to me, that was like one of the coolest positive ways I've ever thought about conflict mm-hmm. is like, you know, typically we think about conflict with a spouse, you know, or what, you know, it, I mean, in my example, I was thinking about it in that way. And we tend to look at it and go like, why are they like this? You know what I mean? Sure. Versus like, I think the way you present it was an optimistic way of like, why are they like this? Is there a chance to learn something new about how they were raised, how they learned, how they process information? And I think that's like so huge in conversations about religion, about politics, about like, Instead of looking at why, why are you like this? Yeah. Asking like, why are you like this? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. like, what's the reason you feel that way? For sure. It's such a healthy approach. And that was something I wanted to make sure I talked about was like that quote. Cause like I was listening to today. I was like, that's really good advice <laughs> from a guy who's been on a reality TV show. About <laughs> I was like, this is actually really good. Like this yeah. is good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it also like that builds connection too. Yeah. Like there's so many people who want to defer from any type of conflict. Yeah. There's like, okay, like, okay. Yeah. Like they, they step into something and they didn't realize they stepped into shit and it had nothing to do yeah. with what they did. It was from two, three, 10 years ago. And instead of like leaning into that and wanting to learn more, they just will dismiss it and move on. Mm-hmm. And there's so much you could learn from that. And I think like if when you step into that and it's taken me many years to like drop into that and step into it, yeah. but you can really build a connection with someone that you never thought you could when you could do that. Yeah. And so I think that's really important. And I think it's also just like important to be aware that, and again, it's taken me a long time to, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this is the way you were brought up or the way you think or the system that you believed in what was right, right or wrong. Like having a stubborn approach to that and not willing to learn more, you're, you're just not going to grow as an individual. Yeah. Yeah. You're just not right. going to grow as a human. And this is like, 
if you don't want to take it from me and if you don't have people <laughs> listening, you don't want to take it from these three or the four of us, someone maybe you want to take Why it are from. are you listening to this yeah, podcast? Yeah, right, right. There you go. <laughs> none of us right, are interested. None of us. Yeah, yeah. But if there's uh, the one guy that like reaffirmed it all for me is when I had A-Rod on. Uh, and so the first thing I said to him, I was like, you have, you're the most followed baseball player ever on social media. You're one of the only athletes that owns a professional team. You've made over a half a billion dollars playing a sport and you're the most relevant human in pop culture. Like what? Not the most, you're one of the most like relevant talked about people. Pop. Like to achieve one of those is outrageous to achieve yeah. all four of those still today at 46 is like you're one in 8 billion. There's about 8 yeah. billion people. How? And so the first thing he said was luck. And the second thing he said was this, he operates his life in sixth, the sixth gear. So in the sixth gear, he's con- he goes, everything he goes, learning lessons, full speed. I trip over something, I lay into it. I make a mistake, mm-hmm. I want to know. Everything I do, sixth gear, all the time. I'm never letting fear dictate anything, a mm-hmm. behavior, an emotion. I'm stepping into it. Now, someone might hear this right now and be like, oh my God, I'm getting anxiety thinking about that. <laughs> like the fuck ups, like the cringes, like, oh my God, I can't like do that. But his whole thing was that his, the, every single move he makes, he's learning more by the yeah. second. And hit the lessons he's learned in his 46 years is what some people wouldn't learn based on the way they live in six yeah. lifetimes. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Right. And so it's constantly, and it's almost like a po I talk about this in my book a little bit. It's like almost like a poker game, right? We're back in Vegas, but those guys will sit there for 20 hours plus because every minute they're there, they then have more information so that they can make a better uh, educated next step. And that's, yeah. that's, so there's a little bits to be said about life with that. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that applies. Almost every successful person that I've met says something along the lines of something very similar to that, which is they are always willing to compress the timeline in which it takes them to learn something. Yes. Always. Even if they have to pay a lot of money for it, like some, some of the masterminds and stuff that I'm in, they're not cheap. But when I look at it, it just makes more sense to me. It's like I could either spend the next decade trying to figure this stuff out or I could pay a lot of money, go get around a bunch of other people who've already figured all this stuff out that can just tell me. It totally. costs you more not to. Yeah, know. right. Yeah. The opportunity cost is more than the actual hard cost. But totally. it's difficult sometimes to convey that yep. uh, to people uh, when, when it doesn't make sense to them. Like, and how- Here's the test for that. If, suppose you don't have any resources to do that. Think about someone you look up to. And rather than focusing on where they are now, Go read their shit. Go yes. read their story. Yeah. Every single person like that has achieved outlying success has like broke what I call is like the blueprint. They haven't done it the way the system kind of tells you or suggests you should do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, anyone like think about like about the rock, right? The guy was an NFL player broken down, literally had not nothing to his name gets into like WWE. Like what? <laughs> think about like Stephen King, uh, Stephen King was like, he was, he worked like, he was a janitor. He worked at a gas pump. None of his books were selling. And then finally Carrie took off. Like, I mean, we could, I could literally bore you to death and go over Barbara Corcoran had Colonel 22 Sanders. jobs yeah. before her 23rd. She was fired at 22 jobs before she was 23. Colonel Sanders. We could literally sit here for an, three hours and talk about anybody that anyone looks up to. And if you stop thinking about like where they are today and start really rewiring how the hell they got there, they fell down and detoured and restarted and rebranded and rewired a million times over. It's arguably the most important skill set, and humans greatest superpower is the ability to adapt. Sure. That's like why we're still here. 
on the planet earth. <laughs> it's like yeah. our biggest skill set as a species is adaptation and yeah. being able to put ourselves in a new situation we're unfamiliar with and thrive yeah. and not just survive, but thrive in that situation. And what gets in the way it's ego and it's, it's ego because, and I could tell you, like I had getting into this world, you start to see you have friends or people that are like, um, you know, acquaintances or like far acquaintances, you start to hear rumblings or you see screenshots. Like there's a group chat of people making for like, what the hell is he doing? What is it like this, that, what an idiot, da, 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 and you start to see it all. Yeah. But you're just like, the, the P, those are the same, everybody that's talking shit are the same people that's just not growing in any way. Yep. Yeah. They're, 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 they're the have, same they're person they were in high school. With, yep. They're dealing yep. with so much insecurity and lack of confidence and frustration within their life that the way they make themselves feel good is they sit in a fucking group chat with seven people who have done the same shit and they that's rip a, you to shreds. Yeah. We are just saying those. Yeah, right but before. the problem is like that, trust me, there are times like I see those and I'm like, I got to change what I'm doing. Like yeah, I shouldn't right. do it. It definitely it gets thinks to you. Yeah. But like making like anyone that's, that's a leader that's done anything big finds ways to ignore that noise. Right. Yeah. And it's so important that you don't let people's insecurities and lack of growth impact your growth. Yeah. The, that's the huge. Biggest tool I think that I've used for that personally is, um, I think it comes from Tony Robbins. I'm not hundred percent sure, but, uh, the rocking chair test, which is where he goes, imagine yourself being 90 plus years old, sitting on a rocking chair on your front porch mm -hmm. and looking back on your life. Mm-hmm. What feelings do you want to feel about it? How do you want to perceive your existence when you're at a point where you can no longer change it? And that to me, anytime I'm sitting there and, and I've been kind of the same way growing up the way that we grew up is that in that bubble world, you know, I've seen pictures of group chats talking shit about the path that I chose to go down. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I'm the only person that's got to wake up every single damn day and look in the mirror and be me right? and yeah. see myself staring back at me. For like sure. I'm the only person they don't do that. They're not me. Like I'm the person that has to live with my decisions. And when I'm 90 and I'm sitting on my rocking chair and looking mm -hmm. back at my life, I don't want to be riddled with regret. Sure. Like that scares the hell out of me way more than failure or embarrassment or Definitely. what some, you know, um, uh, non ambitious, lazy, fearful people are sitting and talking about in a group chat like that matters way more to me like you know what I mean? like if you fast forward beyond all the noise and go yeah. beyond the timeline of your life yeah none of it matters yep yeah. so yeah. why not do the shit that you care about or like yeah. take totally. the risks you want to yeah. take like it doesn't matter yeah, I mean, yeah think about like do the numbers right like so on average in the United States, like I think the last study that like officially came out and was in like 2019 or 2020, we live to like 79 years on average, right? Yeah. Now, obviously it doesn't speak for all of us, but sure. 79 years. So if you take 18 years out of that, like you're growing adult, you got 61 years, right? 61, 61 years. That is nothing. Yeah. No, so like you if you're I lucky, dogs you get barking, right? Like my dog growing up lived till 20. Yeah. <laughs> so my three in my dog's lives, that's all you get. Right. And we're so worried about what all these other people think and pleasing people. Like, what do you do? You got 61 years to do something greater than the 61 years, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's pass it on to kids. Maybe it's leave a foundation. Maybe it's leave a legacy of something. Or maybe you create something that people remember. Like, that's it. 61 years as an adult, on average, to do something greater than, you know, 
just your name and where you're born and Existing, what yeah. says on your tombstone, which is a super like deep, deep conversation. Yeah. But when you hit the numbers, it's like shit. Yeah. So I think this is a really good place to kind of leave things off. We want to get you to your hotel in a reasonable hour. So, <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> uh, uh, but bringing it down to kind of final question here, this is a question we ask people pretty often curious mm-hmm. to hear your answer. If you knew that you were mm-hmm. going to have a video that you made go viral hmm. and everybody in the world would see the message that you put inside of that video, what would that message be? Ooh, ooh, that's a good one. It would definitely be something behind. And so I'd want to take the curtain away um, and showcase the reality. What would I want it to be? Oh my God, I have so many answers. I'll tell it. So one, so in chapter one of my book, this is what I talk about. I've never told anyone this until I wrote it on paper was that for nine years, I was attempting so hard to be what I perceived as success, so hard. And it got to a point where I was no longer at all connected with me, but I still knew I had to be this thing, this walking image of like what would get me promoted. And so I was in the middle of a meeting, and the people I was in this meeting with still don't know this. Uh, I Presentation's about to start. I asked to excuse myself. I go to the executives. It's a huge pitch. I go to the executives bathroom. He tells me to go close the door, hit the deck, completely pass out. And so I was just like, I was putting so much pressure on me to be this thing that I thought existed that I had no connection that I like put myself into a panic attack, got myself together, water on my face, go back to the meeting, get home that night. Instead of like doing some self work, all I'm thinking about in my head is, what can I possibly do to camouflage what the fuck just happened? Mm, yeah. And so I started, I started to get, I got prescribed Xanax and beta blockers and what I would do so I could continue to camouflage like who am I? Re- this is my body speaking to me yeah. and I'm still trying to camouflage it. I would take Listerine strips, like the breath strips, take them out, just put one in there and put in Xanax and beta blockers in my coat jacket. So if I had my body starts speaking to me more, I could shut up. And I did that for nine years. And it was it's really, really sad that it took nine, ten years for me to figure out you need to listen to your voice. Otherwise, you're going to hit the deck. And how much longer will you even keep going? And so there's so many people out there, maybe to not that extent, but to some extent, aren't listening to their bodies, aren't listening to their inner voice, are camouflaging it because it's not acceptable or it's not going to be seen or perceived as what needs to be done to get you to where you think you need to be. And I would just say, do everything you possibly can to proactively figure out how to listen to yourself because eventually you will crack. And the only question is how hard is the fall going to be? And so that is part of chapter one there's a little video of me talking about it. And that is a story and a scene I'd want like everyone to hear. Cause it's, uh, you know, it's, it's real. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, dude, thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah. I know that you're on a tight schedule got a bunch of stuff going on, got the book coming out. Um, and kind of on that note, where, uh, is there a specific place you want people to buy the book or just anywhere you buy books? Yeah. So you could buy any, like Amazon target Barnes and Noble, but there's a, we have a website. It's called the restart roadmap.com. Okay. And so if you go there, 
you'll be able to go to the places and it tells you a little bit about myself and the book. So that That's would cool. be great. The restart roadmap. The restart roadmap. Listen up guys. If you, you guys know, anytime I recommend a book on the show, um, you got to pick it up now because <laughs> you're going to forget and life gets in the way. But if you pick it up now and add it to the list, then it'll actually get read. So pick up a copy of the restart roadmap. I know that you will enjoy it. Jason, bro. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. This Thank you fun. guys for having me. This yeah. is awesome. Really so cool. enjoy the conversation. Thank you for listening to the figuring it out podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. For more information about the show, visit www.figuringitout.tv or connect with us anywhere on social media with the handle figuringitout.tv.